Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Well, I have to say, Chris, you're looking dapper. Thank you. Um, we're back with another awesome recovery story. So it's interesting because I would say most, a lot of the recovery stories that we have on here, people are sharing publicly for the first time or they don't share that often. Right. But this was a unique experience because... He's literally already written a book about his recovery. Yeah, his whole life story of recovery, his addiction, everything. Yeah, so Thomas 2.0 is his author name, um, right? And he's not 100% on let's put our whole identity out there, which we respect it, right? You do. Absolutely. You do you, Hence, that's why he's still Thomas 2.0 in this podcast. Yep. Yep. So you do you, right? Everyone's doing recovery the, the way that they need to. Um, but totally cool how... You know, a lot of his process, he's he's thought out, he's experienced, kind of been through it. You know, a lot of times we catch people on the spot and they're like, oh, I've never, I've never thought about this completely before I put out. But I mean, so it's really interesting sitting with Thomas and um, 2.0 and having him kind of put that all out there. One thing that was really cool that he actually brought us a gift. We haven't had anybody bring us a gift yet. And so they're actually 3D printed little coins that are the Unashamed Unafraid logo. That was super cool. Ugh, so cool. It's got black. You got the white lettering. Literally holding you, mine right now. You've got the red line in between. See this through your headphones. Everything. It's pretty dope. We'll actually take a picture of it and post it on the on the um, social media so you guys can take a look at it. But then the other cool thing is that, you know, his book is called Dark to Light, My Recovery from Pornography and Lust. So go check it out on Amazon. You can find it on there. Yep. So then on the bonus content that we talked to him about, uh, we talk about him writing the book, what that was like for him, uh, what it was like for him and his wife, because she also helped. Uh, yeah, she was part of the kind process. Kind of co-author yeah. that. And yeah. I don't know if she co-authored, but really just like helped him with the whole process. So he talks about that. Then he talks about lust versus temptation. Which was super interesting, by the way. Very interesting. He's awesome. Because I kind of like, I know the definitions of everything, but even that, I was like, this is totally an interesting concept. Very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. So I like that. And then he talked about what addiction costs, uh, what it costs each one of us, what it, what addiction cost him and what he went through. Man, I would love to listen to this bonus content after a story, but how do I do that? So interesting you should ask. What you do is unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. So we are a nonprofit. Your donation goes to running this podcast and then to creating scholarships, which if you go to the website, you can see the scholarships are for actual recovery resources, therapy, retreats, different things. Um, none of us get paid. So the money goes 100% um, to those and to running the podcast. So you can see it all on there. And when you donate monthly or annually, right, when you do a recurring donation, $5, $10, whatever it is that you can afford, um, you then become an outsider, and that's that action step. Our outsiders, we define them as bold, accepted, and unashamed. 
And as you participate with that, we create all the bonus content. So that's how you get access to the bonus content and a bunch of other stuff. You can also just subscribe by email if you want our keys to recovery document, which is everything that we've learned over all of this time. Um, so if you're a new listener, we welcome you. If you're an old listener, we welcome you back. If you're an outsider, thank you so much for helping us out and donating and be a part of what we're all doing out here. Everyone give us five stars on iTunes if you can. That would just be awesome. Follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid. And with that, we will get into our episode with Thomas 2.0. Jason, do you have your phone off now? Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Because Will, Will's been ready for a while waiting for you, bro. <laughs> Thomas, it's awesome to have you here with us, man. Thank you, guys. I'm honored to be here. This is awesome. Sweet. We're excited to have you. Chris, just a man of so many words. <laughs> I try. It's fun to put Chris on the spot sometimes. <laughs> um, what some of you don't know about Chris is is, um, is Chris like is like deaf, basically. So sometimes Chris will be looking at you, and he'll just nod and smile. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, he can't hear me. He's not hearing me. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, I didn't hear what you said. So he just smiles and nods. So you It know, happens just, a lot. We just have to, you know, just make sure you're here with us, ready to go. I'm ready. I'm good to go. I'm ready. So the person who's ready is Thomas. Thomas, this is you, man. As you know, we just, we turn this over to you to just share your story and, and your heart. And so hit us with the background, man. How did, how did this all start? <clears throat> okay. Well, um, we're talking about pornography addiction. And uh, when I was eight years old, I was in a, a musical group and of, of kids. I was uh, a young soprano. And um, the opera companies would come into town and they would come and pick the, the good singing kids to come and be in these operas. And eight years old, I got picked. And uh, when I was in the opera house, of course, it was an awesome experience musically, but um, there was a lot of pornography backstage. And I started... So a actual pornography, not, not artwork, but actual pornography, right? Yeah, you know, like the stagehands would like hide pornography all over backstage. Carnies, stagehands, uh, yeah. common. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I think what started out as curiosity quickly became kind of an obsession. Like, let's make a game out of this, hide and seek, and let's try to find as much of this stuff as we can. Yeah. And I was in two more operas between 8 and 12, and those two experiences were very similar. Um, continued my game of hide-and-seek, um, trying to find the pornography. So by the time I was 12, um, I had you know, gone through this very highly sexualized experience. And lust had, was setting in, and I was acting out um, with real people um, by the age of 12. And that kind of went, was the story of my entire teenage life. Um, acting out, feeling super guilty. Um, I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and um, my parents were awesome. No huge gotchas, no abuse, normal disagreements, but wonderful parents. And yet I still feel into, I fell into this trap of Satan. And um, they didn't really know. They didn't know. Were, were they open with you about like sexuality or anything like that? Or was that more of a hush hush kind of deal? Oh yeah. They were open with us. You know, we'd have um, family talks about it. And 
Also, my mother was actually really involved in the anti-pornography movement, which I think was another thing as a kid where I was like, oh, my mom really thinks this stuff is bad, so I'm never going to tell her yeah. about this. Yeah. And so I just kept my secret. Um, but that's really when my fight started. Yeah. Um, every day I was confronted with lust, um, school, um, the grocery store, swimming pools, anywhere I went, I was fighting, fighting, fighting that lust. And I would win 99 out of 100 battles a day, but I would lose that one battle. And that's when I would, you know, go into lying, hiding, minimizing, justifying. And it really defined me. Um, I, I served a mission for... Uh, the LDS mm-hmm. church. Where'd you go? I served in the Philippines. Okay. Okay. Very and, cool. uh, but yeah, I minimized things to get on my mission. Sure. Um, my mission was a really blessed time where I, I say I did like a two thirds repentance so I can join you on the minimizing yeah. pre-mission thing. Yeah. Yep. I would, you know, tell people like a surface truth, um, to get through and to feel better about myself, but I was never really addressing the, the roots. Yeah. And um, served a mission. Uh, some things happened on the mission that uh, I probably should have gotten sent home. But again, minimized things to my uh, the president of the mission and kind of felt okay about getting home. And But then, you know, within a few months kind of fell back into pornography, lust, and within a little while after that, acting out. Yeah, yeah. Acting out being sexual behavior beyond pornography, sexual behavior with other people. Yeah, um, uh, uh, as is the natural progression of these things, it's first sex with self, masturbation, right. and then uh, that doesn't satisfy anymore, so you kind of move on to um, yeah. sexual experience with others. Yeah, no, totally. No, I mean, that was that's my, my story to the T, and, and Chris can relate to that too. Yep. And so tell me, so you end up getting married— yeah. How how many between your mission and when you got married? How much time passed? About two years, maybe three years. Okay, and um, I mean, we can say it or he can say it. You probably thought that it was gonna solve everything. Right? Oh yeah, everybody thinks that. I, no, I, that's why. That's why I'm saying like we. This comes every up episode. every time. It comes up every episode. Yeah. Like. No, I, I've, I, I know that concept. Um, and unfortunately for me, I, I really love my wife so much, and the the time of our courtship was a really pretty clean time for me, because I was looking forward to that marriage so much. But I I did end up acting out the week before our marriage and um, went to the altar gulping. You know, please. Not disclosing to her, right? Not She at didn't all. know anything. No. Like, please do not let me be struck by lightning. Yeah. And please, I want, I want her. I want to love her. Please help me. And... And of, of making that resolution in my head, I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to love her. And I'm not going to be that that guy. Yeah. Up to this point in your life, like, who was God to you? Like, if you described God, your relationship to him, like, what what did that look like? That's a great question. I've always been a faithful person. 
I've always felt like God was my father. But I, I had this pride and I kind of felt like the scripture says, he's going to beat me with a few stripes and then usher me in. And I thought, okay, I'll just get beat with those few stripes and then I'll be in heaven. Um, that was kind of your, I'm never going to share this, take it to the grave complex with God was that. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know anybody who doesn't think, oh, let me go tell my wife about this or let me let me go tell the world about this. No, that's not how yeah, it totally. starts. But it's interesting, um, you know, that you say it's like, no, I kind of feel like God would just get over it and be fine with me because I, I know for a lot of minutes, I know I'm going to hell, so I'm just going to fake it until so I don't hurt my wife anymore or I don't hurt anyone else anymore and... Uh, or or they're going to earn it. I'm going to earn it. So I was never a, hey, I'm just going to hell. I'm just like, oh, wow, you know, score's 50 to zero. Well, if I work really hard, I can make a comeback. Oh, the score's 100 to zero. Well, if I work really hard, I can make a comeback. Like, I was always making the comeback. I was always going to earn God's love in my place, you know, in his kingdom. And so for you, you just felt like, as you describe your pride, like you just felt, hey, I can have this cake and eat it too. Yeah, I really feel like I had some narcissistic tendencies that just made me, I was special. You know, even from the time I was a kid, in the operas, I'm signing autographs. Um, I'm going to be someone when I grow up. And it wasn't hard for me to believe God loves me. Um, But after Disclosure Day, D-Day hit, all of that facade came crashing down. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I am not going to heaven, especially after I saw what I did to my wife. So when so when was D Day, and then did you did you have acting out? Because you said you kind of had some right some sobriety, you know, a lot more sobriety when right before you got married. So after you get married, are, are you still acting out with other women? Is it pornography only? How quickly did that enter back into the marriage? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so um, I got married and. What happened was my wife, my wife had some health issues right off the bat. Uh-huh. And suddenly all these expectations I had for intimacy and marriage were gone. And so I coped through pornography. Yeah. And that drove disconnection for 16 years. In March of 2016 is when she had had enough. And it, there was this one night where she and well, I were talking. Well, before you give us that story yeah. in 16, so like when did she find out about it? Okay, yeah, so you asked about acting out. Um, so I I was coping through pornography. This did lead to um, a lot of emotional affairs, work dating, mm-hmm. some even church dating, mm-hmm. um, being too familiar with other people's problems, them with mine. Mm -hmm. And my wife felt during this whole time that she was not enough. Yeah. And she felt like she wasn't beautiful enough for me. Even not knowing about the pornography use. She did not know about the pornography, but she could see that I was flirting with everybody. I was trying to be everything to everyone else but her. Yeah. And she could feel it. And she started withdrawing then the, after a few years, the depression kicked in. After a few more years, her self-esteem was totally gone. I don't know why. I don't know how she stayed with me as long as she did. Yeah. 
And, and during this, so you're not getting caught, right? And so, uh, you know, f- for me, it was always like quit every time after I acted out. And Chris, you can talk about, you know, what it was, I mean, like for you too, but like, were, were you just in a position of, and I also understand the the pride as you described it, because I, I can relate to that too, um, is like, did you were like, think, hey, this is something I need to get rid of or out of my life? Or did you kind of just maintain like, hey, I can just kind of keep doing this and it's fine? I just thought I could keep doing it and that nobody would know I'm not hurting anybody. Um, This is just my little problem. I can do this on my own. Yeah, total, total denial about what I was doing to my wife and others and just thinking I could do it on my own, like you say. Yeah. Were you gaslighting her as well? Oh, yeah. During that time? Yeah, for sure. Define gaslighting for those who don't know. Gaslighting is presenting someone in a different aspect, a different way than they really, than they truly are. So you would, like, I for, for me, I would um, talk about my wife in a horrible way and make her out to be this mean woman um, to other people. When she really wasn't, she was that way because of the things I was doing, but I was conveying her that way to other people. Yeah, it's so horrible. Like my wife had health problems, like I said, and I would kind of pin her betrayal trauma on those health problems a lot. Mm-hmm. So when she couldn't make it to church or she wasn't engaged at a family get together, I'd always just say, yeah, you know, my wife's got these problems. She's depressed or this or that. But it was never about what I had done to her or what mm-hmm. I was doing that made her feel that way. It was always she's the broken one. Well, it's awesome that you can acknowledge this. I, I had a conversation um, with a lady a couple, I don't know, three months ago now. Um, and frankly, it was it was honestly the worst, like one of the worst stories I've ever heard of just like, how badly she'd been treated. And like the only analogy I could think of was I'm like, yeah, if you feel like everyone's like handing you a can of Coke and you open it up and you drink it and you're like, no, this is Sprite. And everyone's like, no, it's Coke. And you're like, no, I know what Coke tastes like. This is Sprite. And everyone's like, no, you're crazy. It's not, it's Coke. See, look at the Coke can. There's the Coke guy, the Coke machine. Nope, you're wrong. And just like that. And so, I mean, it's amazing at this point in your journey that you can recognize that gaslighting and, and see like what you were doing there. Cause I know for me as an addict that I, and sometimes I still don't know that I fully see that if I'm being honest, like, mm-hmm. I think that's something I still need to work on. Very rarely would she ever call me out on any of these behaviors. Yeah. And when she did, it was gaslighting. It was, what are you talking about? You're crazy. I don't, I don't have any feelings for that other person. I love right? you. I, oh, yeah. I give you all my money. You know, what more do you want from me? I, I love you. But that's not where my head I was. I would never do that. Right. And that's not where my heart was. And yeah. Yeah. And I struggle with that even in recovery. Like Kayla, like we'd leave a family function or something and Kayla would be like, what's your problem? Like, you're so rude to me. And I literally would be like, what are you talking about? I mean, the dialogue you just said perfectly. I was like, dude, Thomas has hung out with me in my marriage. He knows what's going on. Like that, like that, you know what I mean? Like, cause I would, I'd just be like, what are you talking about? Like, why were you so rude to me at dinner with our friends? And I'm like, what are you talking? Like just not being able to see that. And so, you know, I mean, that's from, from someone in recovery from their gaslighting, that's beautiful the way that you kind of talk about that process and identifying it. 
So this is ongoing for uh, X amount of years, years. 16 years. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it all comes to the surface. Tell us about how, how it happened. Yeah, we were in between homes. And that's a very stressful time. You know, moving mm -hmm. is stressful. And we were in a, we were in a temporary living uh, situation, getting ready to move into another home. And we were both just tired, disconnected. And one day, she, one night, she just said, you know. And do you have kids at this point? Yeah, we have two. We have okay. two children. And she said, I just don't feel like you love me. And so I don't, I don't think we're going to make it. This is out of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much out of nowhere. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was like, what? What are you talking about? But then all of a sudden, I had this moment where the Spirit talked to me. And the Spirit told me, tell her now or you will lose her. And at that moment, I, I thought about it. And I thought about the heavy burden that I had been carrying for so long. And I didn't want to lose her. Well, you're breaking through your denial of, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can just go on like this and it'll be a few stripes and then I'm in. Yeah, I could all of a sudden see what I was doing to her, a little tiny tip of the iceberg of what I was doing to her. And all of a sudden when I heard that voice saying, tell her now or you will lose her, it was like I was encased in this hard shell and as soon as I started saying, okay, wait, wait, just hold on a second. I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to start at the very beginning and tell you my story. And when I started telling that story, I felt like that hard shell around me was cracking. And it felt good, but it was scary. And you're, you're talking about going way back to where you were a child and you were in the opera house and what you were seeing and how it all started for you. Yeah. You're like telling her no, everything. We're going, we're going right? back to stagehands in the carnies, bro. <laughs> yeah, back there. I, I started, I, that's where I started. Yeah. You know, when I was eight, honey, I saw a lot of pornography and it changed the way my brain works. I knew that much. I knew yeah. it was changed, it had changed the way my brain worked. And, um, and I started telling her everything and she kind of freaked. Oh, she, that's fair, by the way. Like, yeah, to any women who are so. listening were like, yeah, th th throw the sink, throw him, throw whatever, spend all the money, wreck the car, like 100%. Well, she didn't wreck the car, <laughs> but she threw the alarm clock and it crashed against the wall. And I was like, whoa, I've never seen her do anything like this. I must really have upset her. And, and then I felt like in that moment I had flicked over a domino. And that domino was hitting another domino, was hitting another domino. And those dominoes were starting to fall. And I didn't know where they were going to go. I didn't know where those dominoes were going to stop. All I knew is that I'm starting to open up and it's going to all come out. And I don't know where this is going to go. And were you able to, at that point, still continue with like talking to her about the emotional affairs that you were having? all that stuff, Or did that come out at a different point? It's, it came out over a long period of time, actually. Um, so that first disclosure, disclosure wasn't everything. Hard. No, it wasn't everything. Yeah, disclosure's hard, right? That's the thing that people don't know, right? It's like, if you never run, and then someone's like, run a marathon. Like, that's how people want to be. And you're like, dude, when you based your whole life on having a dual life and living a lie, just ripping off that Band-Aid and being 100% honest, like, 
turns out it's not that easy. We had talks almost every night for about six months. She was asking me questions. She would come to me with lists of people. Did you lust after her? Did you lust after this person? Um, what happened here? Yeah. What was the level of lust? High, medium, low? Night after night after night, questions after questions. So she's asking for like major details. Yeah. And it basically, um, I was kind of stuck because I didn't want to hurt her with all these details. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I knew how important the honesty was. And if she didn't get honesty, she was gone. Yeah. Well, and this See, is and something we talk. Go ahead. I, I can say that that's definitely something that for for the disclosure piece is something that as you disclose, you need to work with your with a counselor or third party because there are certain details that they don't need, but there's details that they do need. Like my wife still, I mean, not still, but but there was a times where she would be asking me like super detailed questions. And I'm like, and I would tell her, you know what? Those are details that you don't need to know because all it was going to do is just continue to hurt her more and more and more. But that's why when you're doing a full disclosure, it's really good to do that with a therapist that knows and understands how to do the, th the, the proper way of disclosing. I've been told that, um, but, but you didn't know at that but, time, obviously. Well, but for me, the honesty was paramount. And mm -hmm. I felt right. like she had a right to know where my head was, where my heart was. And while I can honestly say those moments were extremely hard uh, when she was hearing those things, now, um, you know, nearly four years into recovery, I'm grateful that she knows what she knows. Because now she's my best friend in recovery. Yeah. She's my support person. She's my accountability partner. She's everything. And there's no more secrets and there's nothing that she doesn't know. And there's power in that for us. Well, yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, you can be fully seen, right? I mean, I, I was just at lunch with a guy the other day who's debating whether or not to disclose to his wife. He's still kind of saying, well, maybe I'll just work on it on my own and then tell her later. And there's a lot of eyebrow raises in here, by the way, you can't see, but, um, <laughs> and, and that's why I said to him, I said, you know, the difference between me and you is, you know, you, you're going to go home tonight and your wife's going to say, Hey, I love you. And you're going to say, Maybe, but if you knew the whole story, would maybe you still not. Love me? You would. You still may not even want to be in a relationship with me. And I'm like, dude, my life's messed up. I got problems. But I know when I go home tonight, no matter what all the problems are, if she's like, hey, I love you. I'm like, she knows the whole me, like you just described, like the whole person. And so she's choosing that whole person, like the whole me and. Yeah. So I, I just love what you're saying about about getting how paramount to use your word the honesty. It's just a great way of saying that. And let me be let me be clear. This did not happen overnight. It did mm -hmm. not happen in those first six months. There were things I didn't want to tell her. I would have rather died than tell mm -hmm. her some of these things. Mm -hmm. Each of these incidents disclosures, um, it was like cutting off a finger every time I had to tell her this, and so. I'll be honest. Um, I, I, it took about three years for everything to come out. Yeah, and that didn't help the trust thing. The Never. I that. would assume so. <laughs> Therapists call that trickle truth, right? So yeah. Right. When the truth keeps trickling out, then they don't know when it's going to stop. Yeah. And then they're like, "When? When are you going to be done confessing stuff?" And that was a huge mistake I made in recovery. Was not 
getting honest, but it was so hard. Like some stuff I couldn't remember, right? Some stuff, like I said, I'd rather would have died than tell her. And yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when, when did you kind of like hit that bottom where you feel like real recovery started for you? I think it was on disclosure day. That's when I started to, um, pull the secrets out of the closet when I started to realize what I had done to her. And when I, I said, I need to get honest, that's when recovery started for me. So then, so then what did you do? Like how, how did, how did you guys start recovery? Like early recovery? Like what did that look like for you guys? Uh, we were blessed with a great church leader who encouraged us to attend the 12 steps Mm -hmm. and, um, the, the, LDS 12-step program, right? The ARP yeah, program? The addiction recovery program that the Church of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ of Latter-day Saints offered. Modified version of the 12 steps. Yep. My bishop was a recovering addict, and so he knew oh, cool. about stuff. Like, when I went in and started telling him stuff, he smiled at me and said, you know, essentially, I understand. like the pat on the head, like, we'll get to that part later. He was super <laughs> focused on my wife and her needs. Awesome. And cut through minimizations. I love this guy. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah. So that's what got me into the 12-step program. And um, each step for me was like a lightning bolt. It was just powerful. Like I worked the steps. I wrote in the book. I showed up at yeah. meetings. I you were wrote. you were doing the program of action, just yep. like it says. Yep. When you were doing recovery for you, not for anyone else, what it sounds like. Like when you had that denial lifted. Uh, I think so, but there was definitely an element of fear. Like I don't want my wife to leave me at yeah. first, where I was yeah. doing it for her to save my marriage t- at first. Mm-hmm. But there came a point where I started feeling the love of God, the atonement of Christ in my life, and that this is now for me. And whether or not she stays with me, because I, was, I wasn't out of the woods. You know what? I'm still not out of the woods. Are, we, are any of us really ever out of the woods? Right. We can't negotiate with our addiction is what I call yeah. it. Yeah. So... Um, I, I wasn't sure, you know, if she was going to stay with me for a while there. And so I realized whether or not she leaves me, I have got to get clean. Boom. That's it right there. Which is an awesome way of thinking because a lot of people go into recovery or, or try, trying to get into recovery, just saying, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes until it gets hard. And I'm doing this because I got caught. I'm doing this because I've got to do this for her. But understanding that piece, that you got to do it for yourself, regardless of what happens to your relationship, and really that that comes to turning it over to God and just letting Him take the reins. Absolutely. And I know that everybody's recovery journey is a little bit different. Mm -hmm, But for me, the easy thing to do have done was to get a divorce. That would have been the easier path for us, is just to say, you know what? I don't want to share all this dirt about my past. She doesn't want to hear it. This is going to just end. That would have been the easy thing to do. The harder thing to do was to confess, to share my truth with her, to hear her pain, and to to stay together. I can totally relate to that. So what was the most difficult parts? Because recovery, when everyone's like, recovery's hard, like I would compare recovery to like 
anything new really that you do. Like if you're going to start running or start lifting weights or totally change your diet, like that first month is tough, right? But then like you start to get on the other end and you see the the value creation and what's going on with you. And so like, as you were in early recovery and, and if you know your wife's experience enough, say what was kind of hard for like, what was the, as you, eyes were open, you entered into that, like what, what was the hard part early on in recovery for you? Uh, the hard part w- was related to the 12 steps of uh, the step four, writing a fearless and thorough moral inventory was really tough. And it took me a long time to write that. So, because you hadn't fully disclosed to her by the time you got to step four, right? No, there was a lot of verbal disclosure, but there was still some stuff she didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And uh, Which makes step four very hard. Yeah, and then a year later, some more stuff came out. So I did a second stab at the step four inventory. And then... Sad to say, another year passed, and there were still some things that were not written. I thought I had done such an awesome job on the, the Step 4 inventory the first time we did it. We went up into the mountains. We, you know, we burned it together. It was a very powerful symbol of you know, the, the death of the old me, the rebirth um, of, and of our marriage. And, and it just was super powerful, but it wasn't everything. The second inventory was good. More stuff came out. Boiling the water, stuff floats to the top. That was good too. But the third time around, when stuff came out, she said, uh-uh, I'm done with this trickle truth. Uh, and we separated. And I went and talked to my therapist and I said, I got to save my marriage. What am I doing wrong? He's like, well, basically you've shot your trust bucket with a shotgun. And it's not going to hold any more water. <laughs> that paints such a, an amazing image, right? He's like, that bucket is so damaged. Um, Another thing I'll have in my office. A bucket, we go take a shotgun, shoot it. And... <laughs> uh, so I love that analogy. Yeah, so he said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take a polygraph test, and that's going to frame what you have done, what you haven't done, and we're going to get all this stuff out now. And that will help restore your trust bucket. So we did the polygraph test and I passed, which was huge. And we ended the separation. It did help her. How long were you separated for? Um, We were separated for a couple of weeks. And then we did a a period of in-house separation too, where we had boundaries in the house. I wasn't sleeping in the bed. Yep. Steve and I have both been there, done that. Yep. It's not fun. No. Hard. Yeah. So from the first disclosure to when she moved out, or when, when you guys separated, had you slipped after that at all? Like, Or were you just like, cut and dry, here we go, I'm done? I was cut and dry. Um, I jumped into the 12-step program with both feet, and uh, there was an element of fear there. I knew if I relapsed that she was gone. So there was an element of fear there, but pretty soon into working the 12 steps, something happened to me. Step six, that change of heart where my, my heart, my old stony heart that used to just pull all those dirty things to me, the polarity on that heart flipped. And all of a sudden it was pushing 
those dirty things away from me. And awesome. I just did not have any desire to look at pornography. I didn't have any desire to masturbate or even lust. It took me a while to separate temptations from lust. Um, but eventually I, I feel like I have a very good grasp on that now. And uh, I don't lust. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, what were kind of some of the keys in starting to rebuild the trust with your wife and, and where are you at with that? So, so tell us sobriety, how long have you been sober as of today? Uh, sober since, um, March 21st, 2016. Okay. And, um, that's congrats by the way. Thank you. Um, so but, almost four years. Yeah. Coming up on four years. Um, rebuilding the trust is an ongoing process, but step 10 of the 12 step program is daily accountability. And I know some therapists would disagree with this approach, but I did. My wife is my sponsor. She's my daily accountability partner. I'd say it depends on your wife and depends on the relationship. Right. 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 So for some people that, 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 that dynamic is not going to work within the relationship. Um, like for my wife, she was like, I don't want you to keep coming to me with all this crap. She goes, just freaking go to your guys and talk to your guys. You know what to do, but go to them, bring that to them. Uh, I acknowledge it. Everybody's journeys are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's worked for us. That's cool. Where I no, tell her awesome. every night, I tell her stuff that's happened. I, I tell her if I've had conversations with trigger people or um, triggering situations, if something's popped up on the computer, all these things I talk to her. And it's it it erases these things so they're not swept under the carpet because we know what happens when things go under the carpet. They grow. Yeah, the into clock a, starts. Yeah. Yep. So I re- I surrender all those things to her, and it's that's what's helped the trust because she which I, knows. Which I assume that piece helped you learn how to be honest with her. I know that's how it was for me. Is just checking in with my wife every day. I was finally learning how to be honest with my wife on a daily basis, even if I had thoughts about other women when I was at the mall or whatever the case would be. I'm still telling my wife these things, but it allowed me to be able to figure out how to be honest with her. Yeah. And it's an ongoing challenge because there's certain things that still happen in my life day to day where I'm like, I don't want to tell her this. That thought comes up. I don't want to, I don't want to say this to her. And there's a, a propensity there to still want to hide things. And it never ends well when you hide something from your nope. wife. Nope, that's true. In fact, that was uh, Jason shared a, a story with me. I don't know, it was a couple months ago that he was like, I lied about this little thing just because like I didn't want to have the argument. Didn't want to create the waves. Didn't want to create the waves. And he was like, I know, like, that's going to lead me to addict behavior. I'm cutting this thing off the past, like, way before everyone gets close to addiction. He is kind of cutting that off. And so you'd use the analogy of the bucket, right? The trust bucket and shut all the holes in there. Um, So tell me what. What has it looked like? Like, as you said, it's an ongoing process. You're not sitting here being like, buckets healed, trust is 100%, we're done. All the holes are patched. Oh, yeah, all the holes are patched. But obviously, you're patching the holes, right? Like, you're in the process of doing that. Like, what have you done to patch the holes? Like, how has that worked out? Like, what have some of those moments looked like? Uh, yeah, I mean, just the ongoing daily accountability was a big part of that. Um, actions speak louder than words. So, oh yeah, um, 
There was this, uh, you know, step eight talks about restitution and reconciliation. And in our first year of recovery, um, there was this, there was this time where I was writing a lot of restitution letters to other people. Mm -hmm. And one night we were alone talking and I could feel the sadness coming from her. So I, I went over and I put my, my hands on her shoulders and I, and all of a sudden it hit me. It's like, she feels just like I wrote her a restitution letter, but I was writing dozens of other restitution letters too. And so I looked her in the eyes and I said, honey, I, you are a hundred times more important than anybody else I'm writing letters to. So I'm going to write you a hundred restitution letters. And I made it a daily activity. And over the course of the next few months, I wrote her a hundred restitution letters. In my own words, baller move, bro. And fighting for her heart right there. Thank you. And that, and that helped baller her. move. That helped her know that she was most important person in my life. Well, and it probably helped you. It was therapeutic, but um, yeah, I didn't do it for me. That, you know, that was just, that was something I did for her. Right, right. But but entering because I mean, you know, I mean, fifteen minutes ago, you were freaking gaslighting twenty four seven. You know, yeah. And so and so, that's just a big change. I mean, that's why I kind of sit on that for a second to be like, from a guy that's like. Hey, I can have a couple stripes and then I'm walking in the kingdom. I'm good. Like, I don't have a problem. Everyone else has a problem to be like, I'm going to write a hundred letters and then do it. Right. Cause I've had times in recovery that I'm like, I'm going to do this amazing thing. And then I don't fall through and mm-hmm. I, you know, and so that's yeah. awesome. It was helpful. I think to restore the trust, you know, about, she knew that I cared about her a lot and that I was putting in the time going to classes, just doing all those recovery activities. Is there anything else to kind of, that you'd want to highlight as far as patching the holes in the bucket? Um, I think, uh, service to her also really helped after being married for so long, she was kind of burned out of doing household chores and by herself and shopping and cooking all the meals. I actually like to cook. And so I, I let go of some of my hobbies and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do those. Instead, I want to serve her. So I took over shopping and I took over cooking dinner. And to this day, I, I'm the guy who I, I go to the grocery store on Monday mornings when it's nice and quiet. I shop, I prepare the, the meals for dinner every day. And that's a huge burden off of her. Mm-hmm. And you're not doing these things for sex. You're just doing these because you want to fight for her heart. Awesome point to make. Yeah. I, I, you've got to do this with the right intentions. You're talking about building trust. They can sniff through. Our wives know. Whatever. Yeah, you can't be like, oh, I'm going to do the dishes because maybe I can get some nookie tonight. Yeah. That's not going to work. It doesn't I, work. Ever work. I'm just over here smiling because Chris and I have had this conversation. Kayla and I, I'll sometimes joke with Kayla and be like, you liked Addict Steve better than Recovery Steve because Addict Steve, service master. <laughs> I'd stay up all night cleaning. I would be, but but all for the wrong reasons. Right. All for the wrong reasons. Yeah, this was a change where she could tell it was it was a change for the right reason, just to help lift that burden off of her. Yeah. So how I know a hard thing for a lot of men, myself included, is kind of letting go of like your wife's process of healing 
and her recovery. Because what I have learned listening to enough stories is no matter how much, you know, whichever partner wants it, the paths don't line up shoulder to shoulder, side by side. And that's not how recovery goes. It's, it's different at different times. And at some point in time, one's healing first, then the other one later. And it's this big. So what, what has that looked like for you with your wife and, and her, her path of healing versus your path of healing? And I love that question. Uh, It really shows, you know, just how you described it. It's, it's very difficult, but First, let me just say our lives are way better in recovery than they were in addiction. Like the level of connection is so different. And I used to just pin, I used to pin everything on physical intimacy, right? If we were being intimate, everything was good. Right. Uh, but now in recovery, I understand physical intimacy is one leg on a big, beautiful table that has, you know, a lot of legs emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, spiritual, cognitive, all these different ways. So if the physical intimacy isn't there, I'm not freaking out. I'm not thinking the old addict brain of uh, what's going on. You know, I can trust that we have those other forms of connection. Yeah. Which is crazy because a lot of of men that are addicts will think, oh, I've got to have this physical intimacy, this this closeness, it's got to be about sex, and that's how I feel close to my wife. But what I realized, once I started to look at things differently and we started to connect emotionally, the, 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 the intimacy totally changed, mm-hmm. and the dynamic there was just beautiful, and it was so much more than I ever imagined it to ever be. Yeah. Because there was so much of the emotional connection and, and um, even spiritual connection, and we didn't need to have the the physical sexual connection, but when that all came together, oh good night. It was awesome. Yeah, and and I and I'm not I, I'm not saying I've totally arrived at that point. I'm not perfect at that. I, I understand it, I believe it, I witness it, but there's there's still sometimes where I kind of fall into that old pattern of thinking, um, I get a little scared, like, okay, I, I need that physical intimacy. I start to lean on that a little too much. Um, but yeah. Are you able to talk to her about it that, at that point and be like, Hey, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I feel like we haven't connected sexually for a little bit or. Yeah, we, we definitely talk about that. Um, about her healing though. It's, it's a, it's still going on. You know, that betrayal trauma, that damage that I did to her is so deep that I cannot expect that she's just going to heal in one year or three years or five years. But no matter how long it takes for her to feel 100% fully healed, she knows I'm going to be there. So how, how have you been able to do that? Like, how have you been able to kind of surrender that her path is her path and kind of let go of like controlling that or, or fixing that? Because I, I personally struggle with kind of that, I'll use the word codependency of like, once, I, once I've helped her heal then I know I've done what I need to do to recover. Like, like that she's that barometer of my recovery. Like she's, you know, if she's healed, then I've done the right thing. If she's not healing, then I'm not doing the right thing. Like so codependent. I mean, you can hear it as I describe it, how I'm kind of messed up on that. So tell me how, like, have you been able to kind of separate that? Cause that's been hard for me. I don't know if I've fully been able to separate that. I just try to focus on service to her. I try to focus on her needs I try to 
to be patient because I damaged her for 16 years. So I'm not expecting that it will be over, you know, like I said, in just a short amount of time. Um, so I'm, I'm focusing on her, her needs and if in, in her, let's be honest, when you first get into recovery, it's a lot about the addict. Like, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. I need help. Get me help. You know, yeah. the focus is on the addict. But yep. now the, the focus isn't on me as much and I, I want it to be on her. Any ideas that she has about cool things, cool new healing? Like we found this cool place recently. Uh, it's called the Purify Wellness Center. You guys heard of that place? Nope. No. They have a salt cave and you can go in there and meditate inside this whole cave made out of Himalayan sea salt. And it's, Sweet. it's really Dude, cool. Dude, I'm so down. Yeah. So she's done that recently and I totally support it. I'm like, yes, anything you want to do for your healing, you want to go to yoga, I 100% fully back it. Yoga is awesome. not my wife's thing. She's like, nope. We're not good. We're not good there. Yeah. Whether it's therapy or <laughs> yoga know, or the salt yeah. cave, you know, whatever it is, I think it's important for me just to support her, and and she she knows that I am aware of that ongoing healing process. Look, I'm well, going to help you do some self care. Yeah, and and I think and like you said, I, you know, we're all work in progress, but I think you really removing like the expectations of you get healed, expectations on sex, expectations of her getting healed, expectations on the trust bucket being fully put back together, right? Um, I mean, that's that's awesome the way you're engaging in that process and battling for her. So, um, I mean, I, I just commend you for that. I mean, that's your example of that. So we're 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 getting to where we're going to wrap this thing up. But before, you know, I always let people go out and be like, all right, if you got a bunch of addicts in here, what are you going to tell them? But before we kind of get to that, you, my friend, have published a book. I have, yes. I felt like it was part of my step 12 service to service to others to put my story out there. And this kind of describes, so tell us about Thomas 2.0, which is the, is the, is the name you go under the authorship. And, and so tell us about that and tell us about the book. Yeah. So anonymity is one of the basic principles of the AA or the LDS. Yeah. The 12 uh, steps. Right, yep. It's a 12 step principle. Yep. So I felt like it was important to do that anonymously. It also is, is better for the the victims in my past um, for me to keep it anonymous. And uh, Thomas 2.0 comes from a nickname that my wife calls me because um, she really feels like Thomas 1.0 died. He was the addict. He was the, the self-centered jerk, and he died. And Thomas 2.0 is the new guy. And so that's the, the semi-anonymous uh, author of the book is Thomas 2.0. Awesome. Cool. And tell, us about, tell us about the book. Uh, it's called Dark to Light, My Recovery from Pornography and Lust. And it is told in the format of as if I was attending 12-step meetings. So it goes through my 12-step shares for three years. Oh, and wow. in the process of sharing those 12-step shares, uh, I, I tell about my recovery, my wife's betrayal trauma, um, some of the consequences of my actions, and some of the things I did to help heal the both of us. How did she feel about the book? Obviously, you shared it with her. She knows you know know knows that you published it. When did you publish it? She's been integral in 
the publishing of the book. She helped edit it. She read it several times with me. Uh, she helped me find the cover art, um, which is by a, a pretty well-known LDS uh, painter by the name of Brian Kershishnik. Um, and so we did it together. And it was very powerful to do that together and, and therapeutic, but we also hope it helps a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Because a lot of times when, because I understand why the wives don't want to come on the show, right? And I get like, everyone's in a different place in the process, totally honor it, I, I get it. And sometimes I worry that our audience goes, like dismisses your story because she's not here to validate what's going, you know? That, that they're like, yeah, well, he's just saying it's all good. And he's just saying she's, but she probably isn't. And that's why she's not, you know, that. And so I, I bring that part up with the book because like, if everyone's thinking this, your story's not authentic, hey, go buy the book. She freaking edited it. So she was part of it. Yeah. It's her lens is there, right? Like, even if it, the book is not written in her voice, like clearly if she thought like, hey, these five chapters are BS, nice try, like she called that out in your editing process. So I think that's cool that you have that kind of in writing, right? I mean, that's, that's a bold, as you know, we're, we're all about bold, accepted, the courage, unashamed, right? Um, that's, that's a couple of the mantras you have for our outsiders is that, you know, that boldness, right. And, and being unashamed. And so, you know, you freaking wrote it down, man. Like people can buy it anywhere, right? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. Uh -huh. That's the 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 place it's at right now. Um, but you know, m my wife uh, wrote a beautiful epilogue to the book, and it's kind of like the pinnacle of the book. Her voice is prominent throughout it, through through me at the twelve step sh sharing. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. really, in the epilogue, it's kind of like the pinnacle of the book, where she's saying, um, you know, Thomas one died, and I have a new husband, and. I love him and this is why, you know, that's it's yeah. really the most powerful part of the book. No, that's, that's cool. beautiful. That's so cool. Um, and so what we end it with everyone the same, right? Because to me, this is what it's all about. The, the reason why I started the podcast, the reason I'm sitting here is because I showed up to this therapy thing and I heard this guy, Chris Bennett share, and I could not believe someone who had done as messed up stuff as me, I haven't argued a little bit more. I tell people, you know, if my story is crazy, Chris's story is nuts. But um, I just couldn't believe that he had done what he did done, and and it just blew me away just hearing story. And so, um, you know, I think there are some people listening to this who don't think recovery is going to happen, who aren't necessarily believing, or they're at a point where they've believed and they're on the roller coaster and they're on a real down right now. Mm -hmm. Um. So if we had one of those men here with us sitting in this chair next to you and you had an opportunity to speak to him, because the truth is you do right now, um, you know, what would you say to him? I would say recovery is possible and that it's so great. And the peace in my life is so much better than the confusion and the frustration and the anger that I felt before. And I'm so grateful to God for the miracles that he's allowed us to experience. And I'm so grateful for Jesus Christ. I really do feel his arm around me saying, it's gonna be okay. Let that go, 
I'm with you. And I never felt that before. Recovery is wonderful. That's awesome. Thomas, thanks for being here and sharing with us. Thank you, guys. I love what you're doing here. And this is so, so awesome to be here talking with you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thomas, as you know, um, having listened to the podcast, that whenever someone shares their story, we're big on music and finding God in music, and that touches our hearts. Um, so we give everyone the opportunities. They share their story. We honor your story. Your story is yours. Um, to kind of attach a song to the end that's meaningful to your recovery um, and kind of one that you connect with. So so tell us your song, man, that we can send everyone out with. Sure. Um we're big 21 Pilots fans at our house, and um, they have a song called Addict with a Pen. And it's about trying to hold living water in your hands and running through the desert and not being able to hold on to that water. And the song really talks about my life in the addiction. But now I have that living water. It's awesome. Awesome. I love that. Talked in quite some time. I know I haven't been the best of sons. Though I've been traveling in the deserts of my mind, and I haven't found a drop of light. Found a drop. I haven't found a drop of water.
I haven't found a drop